0: Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson one, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5, Solomon writes, The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Now, here's a question for you. Who has the right to whisper in your ear? That's a really important question because the things that go in one ear don't really come out on the other side, although sometimes I know it does seem like that would actually be the case. No, the things that go into our ears are like seeds that get planted in the gardens of our minds. Now imagine that all you had was your garden to eat from. Would you protect it? Would you guard it? How would you react if someone came in and tried to plant some weeds in your garden and those weeds would crowd out the things that you've planted that you need in order to eat and live? The truth is that as followers of Jesus, that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do. Whether you realize it or not, all he has to do is whisper something in your ear, like, can you believe that God would let this happen to you? Or if God really loved you, you know, he'd take better care of you because you deserve better. Those seeds produce weeds that'll Like a sick infection in your mind, if you're not careful to be plucking those thoughts out as soon as they enter your mind. Solomon tells us that the thoughts of the righteous are just. Why? Why are the thoughts of the righteous just? Because the righteous take care of their minds. They cultivate it daily by seeking the Lord in prayer and by studying God's word and meditating on that and letting those thoughts take root deep in the soil of the gardens of their minds so that when the devil comes along and spreads seeds of doubt and discontent, the righteous will recognize exactly what's going on. And they do what? They resist the enemy. Because as James pointed out, when you resist the devil, he will flee from you that's from James chapter 4 verse 7 so very quickly let me point out some of the ways that the devil sneaks into the gardens of our minds to plant poisonous and infectious seeds well, television is one of the easiest ways for him because you're not only listening to it, but you're also seeing it. You're taking it in visually. It's almost like a real-life experience, and it's easy for us to forget that what we see on television is not objective reality. If you think that people can't be brainwashed by television, look at what the cigarette industry did back before the FCC stopped allowing cigarette commercials. They made smoking look cool and prestigious, and what happened? People fell for it and wanted to be like the people on television. Before you knew it, people were sucking on cancer sticks everywhere you looked. Music's another way. Uh, if you're filling your mind with music that's filled with anger and obscenities maybe, you're filling yourself with those very qualities and eventually they'll start bearing bad fruit in your life or at least they'll start choking out the good fruit. So the lesson here is just to guard your mind. It's the first and only line of defense to your heart and your mind was created for the purpose of loving and worshipping God. After all, we know that Jesus said that the most important thing for us to do is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our minds, and with all of our strength. That's from Mark chapter 12, verse 30. In Psalm chapter 64, verse 2, we read, Hide from me the secret counsel of evildoers from the tumult of those who do iniquity. Let that be our prayer as well as we guard our minds. In the next few verses, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, Solomon writes, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of a perverse mind will be despised. Now, in this passage, what we find is the outflow of the mind. And where do you think we find that which overflows from the mind? in the mouth. The principle here is that what's sowed in your mind through your ears and through your eyes gets reaped from your tongue. Look at it this way. As Jesus was being crucified, he hung between two thieves. One of them mocked Jesus along with the mouths of the so many who were looking on and saying things like, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. That's from Matthew chapter 27, verse 42. But because of his belief that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the other thief poured words out of his mouth which delivered him from God's judgment. In response to the mocking of Jesus by that first thief, the second thief said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, speaking of Jesus, but this man has done nothing wrong. And with that, he turned his attention to Jesus saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's from Luke chapter 23, verses 40 to 42. Now, clearly, this second thief wouldn't have said those words if the fields of his mind had not been instantly cleared of doubt and skepticism, because the mouth speaks from whatever the heart is filled with, and the gateway to the heart is the mind. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Solomon tells us that a man will be praised according to his insight. This word which gets translated as praised can also be translated as commended. So the insight of the thief who put his trust in Jesus for salvation was indeed commended by Jesus. And the man was given eternal life, a promise of being in paradise with Jesus. Solomon reminds us that the flip side of that coin is that the one of a perverse mind will be despised. This was the choice of the willfully, defiant, and rebellious thief who mocked Jesus. Again, the lesson here is to carefully cultivate your mind, because it's linked through the heart to your mouth. This concludes lesson one. Lesson two. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9, Solomon writes, Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Some translations render this verse as saying, Better is he who is despised and has a servant. But this is very clearly a misinterpretation because it would lead the reader to think that the person who is said to be despised in verse 8 is the same person who is said to be despised here in verse 9. But the Hebrew words in verses 8 and 9 aren't the same word, and the words that are used have different implications. The person who is lightly esteemed here in verse 9 is simply the person who tends to be overlooked in life. It's the person who doesn't necessarily draw a lot of attention to himself or herself. Solomon's telling us that it's better to be that type of person than it is to be the type of person who tries to make themselves look like someone who deserves a lot of respect or a lot of attention, even though they're not. In the contrast here, the person who tries to make themselves look like the type of person who's worthy of the praise of men turns out to be too poor to eat, while the person who's content without the spotlight is doing well enough, financially or materially speaking, that they can afford to hire a servant. So it's clear in this case that the person who spends their time bragging should try spending more time begging. In the next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 10, Solomon writes, "...a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked..." is cruel. Solomon's carried the theme of humility over from the previous verse, verse 9, to this verse. The contrast here is between the compassion of the righteous man and the compassion of the wicked. Solomon's telling us that the righteous person has regard for the life of his animal, which indicates that this person, this righteous person, respects and has compassion toward even the lowest of creatures. The wicked person, on the other hand, is incapable of demonstrating compassion because the best that they have to offer the best that they have to offer, still involves hurting other people. It still involves walking all over the hearts and feelings of other people. So with that in mind, it would be better to be the dog of a righteous person than the best friend of a wicked person. So the question here for you would be, which side of the fence are your friends on? Are they righteous or wicked? It's important to be careful about setting yourself up for heartache by making close friends with wicked people. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, Solomon writes, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. The contrast that Solomon has laid out for us here requires that we read this verse in light of verse 9. In both verses, there's a reference to what? to bread. Back in verse 9, Solomon told us that it's better to be lightly esteemed or overlooked and yet have a servant than it is to honor one's self and yet not have bread to eat. Now here in verse 11, Solomon tells us what type of person will have bread to eat. The person who's willing to work for it. In fact, for the person who's willing to get their hands dirty and get done what needs to be done, Solomon tells us that they'll have plenty of bread. This person is contrasted with the person who's described by Solomon as he who pursues worthless things. The implication is that this person will not have plenty of bread. Now, while God did design us to dream and to aspire, there has to come a point when a person has to start wondering if they're just chasing rainbows in hopes of finding a pot of gold when they finally catch that first rainbow. Simply put, Solomon tells us that such a person lacks sense. The person who lacks sense will ultimately lack food, too. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 12, Solomon writes, The wicked man desires the booty of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. So the question here is this. Whom do you emulate? Who do you want to be like? Do you want the things that you see evil men possessing? When you turn on the TV and you see celebrities who drive the most souped-up cars and wear the most expensive clothes and they're surrounded by young and attractive people and yet they clearly have no fear of God to speak of, do you want to be like them? Solomon tells us what type of person wants to be like evil men and wants to have the same things that evil men have, the wicked man. On the other hand, Solomon tells us that the root of the righteous will yield fruit. In other words, their lives are characterized by the fact that they do things that really matter. All of the things that evil men have, which you might be tempted to covet, are going to burn up one day anyway. But the righteous person does things which count and which last for eternity. So the lesson here is pretty simple and straightforward. Who you emulate is a clear indication of what you are and what you'll become. If you want the righteousness of Christ, you'll become more Christ-like. But if you want the things that evil men have, you'll become as evil as they are. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13, Solomon writes, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. Have you ever heard the saying, What a wicked web we weave when first we speak to deceive You know, I think it's fair to say that Solomon said basically the same thing here in verse 13, only Solomon wrote it thousands of years ago. But this is a theme that Solomon has touched on several times here in Proverbs, starting back in chapter 1. The evil person sets a trap and eventually finds themselves inescapably trapped in it. The righteous person, on the other hand, doesn't set such a trap for themselves. Rather than trying to cover their tracks with lies and half-truths, which, by the way, are actually the same as a lie, The righteous person calls it like it is, and refuses to utter false words or make stories up. The thing to remember here is that if you don't set a trap with your lips, you're guaranteed not to get caught in your own trap. A perfect example of this can be found in the story of the two women who came before Solomon, each of them claiming to be the mother of this certain child. Well, obviously... Only one of the women could be telling the truth, and so Solomon put this proverb, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13, into action by deciding that the child would be, what, cut in half, with each mother receiving one half of the child. Solomon had no intention of actually cutting the child in half, by the way, however, rather he knew that the real mother would rather surrender her right to be the mother than have her child murdered. And so thus when one of the women said, fine, give me my half of the child she fell into the very trap that she had set by lying to Solomon about being the child's mother, and Solomon was able to recognize that she was lying. Now, that's a perfect example of someone setting a trap for themselves by lying. In the next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 14, Solomon writes, A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. Here in this verse, Solomon applies the basic Biblical concept of reaping what one sows to one's words and to their works. This verse isn't a contrast, but it is a comparison between the fruit of one's words and the deeds of one's hands. Maybe it's just a good reminder that God will bless the words which come from a righteous person's mouth in the same way that he'll bless the works which come from a righteous person's hands. He blesses those works because, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, he designed those works specifically for us in accordance with the way that he's gifted us. And here's the beautiful thing about it the person who produces fruit with their words will feel and experience a deep, deep satisfaction because of the good that they see in that fruit. So with that in mind, here's an idea. Go out and bless someone today with your words and with your works. When they smile at you or thank you for your encouragement, take a moment to soak in that satisfaction. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, Solomon writes, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. This verse is almost a reiteration of chapter 12, verse 5, but it gives us the other side of the equation there. You'll recall that back in verse 5, Solomon warned us that the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So one might wonder, when they read this verse, if this means that a fool can be wise if he listens to the counsel of wicked and deceitful men. Well, no, and here's the catch Solomon tells us in the first half of this verse that the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. See, a fool will surround him or herself with what we would refer to as yes-men. That is, people who tell them exactly what they want to hear, or they just completely ignore the counsel of anyone and everyone who opposes them. A wise person, on the other hand, will recognize when someone knows better than they do but a fool won't a fool becomes his own counsel basically while the wise person seeks and listens to the input and advice of people who have already navigated through the difficult circumstances that life can present at times it's also important to see that this verse is closely related to the previous verse see in verse 14 solomon stressed the importance of speaking and here in verse 15 Solomon's stressing the importance of listening. This verse is also closely connected to the next verse. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16, Solomon writes, a fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. See, this verse is linked to verse 15 by the word fool. The same person is being spoken of in both verses. The fool who's right in his own eyes becomes furious whenever anyone else tells him how to live his life. The fool will become even more enraged when it turns out that someone else's advice would have been good if you would have followed it, even though the fool turned out to have ignored it. The wise person, on the other hand, might feel humbled or even embarrassed when someone gives them counsel, but if they feel insulted to any degree, they hide it, they conceal it, knowing that there's a chance that the counsel they've received was correct. See, demonstrating anger toward those who give good advice is foolish, because on the chance that the advice turns out to be good or sound, It would be good to receive wise counsel from that same person again someday or as often as possible. If a person becomes angry at you for giving good advice, what are the chances that you'll want to give them good advice again in the future? Not very good, right? I mean, I know for myself personally, when I give someone advice that I think is appropriate, if they blow up with anger in my face, what do you think I'm going to do next time they need advice, especially if I turn out to have been correct? The lesson here is that you shouldn't burn bridges that would make your life easier to manage if you cross them. This concludes lesson three. Lesson four. In Proverbs chapter 12 verse 17, Solomon writes, He who speaks truth tells what is right. But a false witness, deceit. Is there any place where truth is as important as it is in a court of law? The sad fact is that the testimony given in court is often full of lies. But a lawyer who's sharp is usually able to discredit a lying witness by showing inconsistencies in the witness's story. Simon Greenleaf was a law school professor and the dean of Harvard Law School, and he identified several things which gave strong reasons to believe that a witness was lying. In fact, he happened to have written the book on the subject, which he titled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence. This book made a huge impact on literally hundreds, if not thousands, of court cases. When Simon Greenleaf was 63 years of age, he published another book titled The Testimony of the Evangelists. I strongly recommend that you get this book. Prior to examining the issue of the reliability of the four Gospels, Simon Greenleaf had believed that the testimony of the early church regarding the resurrection of Christ to be a hoax. In this book, however, Greenleaf applied the concepts of witness examination to the testimonies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in an effort to determine the level of credibility that they had as witnesses and or historians. And what did he find? He determined that the testimony of these four reports would easily withstand the scrutiny of even the harshest cross-examination, based on the fact that while the testimonies are all very similar, there are enough subtle, and minute differences in terms of added detail to conclude that the witnesses weren't making up what they had recorded in their respective books. And he went on to write in this book, quote, It is impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truth that they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. Quote. No doubt about it, he who speaks truth tells what is right. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, Solomon writes, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, there are few things in life that can hurt as deeply and for the length of time that words can when they're spoken. Without thinking. This is the number one cause of foot and mouth syndrome, if you know what I mean. Now, I have to admit that in my younger years, I was the type of person who was too busy talking to take time to actually listen to others, and I believed that my job was to tell them the truth, or what I perceived to be the truth, as straightforwardly and as bluntly as I could. Now as I've gotten older, I've seen the error of my ways, and I can look back and see how out of line I was. The fact is that people don't care what you say until they know that you care. A word which is spoken before really considering what the person needs can be enough to destroy a friendship. On the other hand, Solomon tells us that the tongue of the wise brings healing, Why? Because the wise don't speak before they think. The wise person listens intently to determine what it is that another person needs. Do they need encouragement or sympathy, discipline or rebuke? And if they do need discipline or rebuke, what's the most tactful and effective way to say it? These are all things that the wise person takes into consideration before saying a single word. Now here's one question to ask yourself whenever you're tempted to give counsel to someone on the spot. Is what I want to say going to harm them or heal them? Even a rebuke, when done properly and with wisdom, can bring healing instead of harm. In the next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 19, Solomon writes, "...truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment." See, the power of words is certainly a theme that Solomon seems to be driving home and coming back to as we go through this section of Proverbs. It's been said that a lie has speed, but truth has endurance, and that's basically what Solomon is telling us here in this verse. Lies have a tendency to self-destruct before long because they're almost always accompanied by inconsistencies. Satan is referred to by Jesus as the father of lies, and those who are following the devil to hell are recognized because they do what their father does. They lie. So with that in mind, it's no surprise that people lie as frequently as they do. God, on the other hand, is truth. Not only does God tell the truth, but the Bible tells us that He is the God of truth. The Psalmist wrote, Into your hand I commit my spirit, you have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. That's from Psalm chapter thirty one, verse five. Jesus said to the Father, Your word is truth in John seventeen, seventeen. And Jesus even said that He is the truth in John fourteen six. You see, lies might look like a foolproof shield, but the truth can pierce through that shield like it's made of pillow fluff. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Hey, everybody, this is Toby Logsdon from BibleStudyPodcast.org. I want to personally thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen today and to study the Word of God with us. The only reason that we're able to provide our biblically sound teachings is because of the faithful giving of less than half of 1% of our listeners. I want to just take a moment to thank those of you who have supported our ministry and to encourage those of you who haven't to simply bring the issue to the Lord in prayer. If he's asking you to support our ministry, we depend on our listeners to keep us growing and going. You can help support our ministry by going to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and clicking on the support button on the right-hand side. There, you'll find a mailing address or a link to make a donation through PayPal. We thank you for listening today and pray that the Lord has blessed you and strengthened you through our teachings. Keep growing closer to Jesus.